1: Black holding high goes to Darty. Darty in the double team gives
0: it back to Black with 20 seconds left to play. Goes back to Michael Jordan. Jumper from out on the left. Good! Rebounded by Weber. Michigan out of timeout. Weber front court. Carolina with foul. He takes the timeout. Technical, out of foul. timeout. Technical, foul. Technical foul. Technical foul on Michigan. Ed Corbett says he can run the baseline. Hands in the ball. Brown gets it into Williams. Here comes Williams front court. Williams on the drive, gets it back out to him. Long outside shot. Short rebounded. May it's over. Carolina has won the national championship. 89-72. And how about them tar heels? They are the national champions.
1: Matthews
0: off the mark.
1: And this year
0: the confetti. It's going to fall for North Carolina. They're not going to be denied this time.
1: Hello and welcome to another edition of the Four Corners podcast. We are powered by Carolina Electrical Services. I am now joined by John Crispin, ESPN College basketball analyst. He is live ahead of tonight's game for Michigan and Purdue tonight over on ESPN. John, how's it going today, man?
0: Oh, it's good. It's good. Look, I, I don't think you understand how pumped I am. Look, I'm excited about tonight's game, uh, without a doubt. Um, not thrilled with the weather that we have in the in Big Ten country, but I'm excited to talk a little Carolina hoops because I grew up a huge Carolina fan. Mm. I mean, if, if there was a starter jacket, uh, a Carolina starter jacket that I didn't have, I'd be surprised. You know, I had everything Carolina, wore the with the powder blue and white shoes. Uh, Always thought I'd play at North Carolina, and I realized as I grew up, first off, I wasn't that good. Uh, Second off, I realized I think I loved Carolina more because my brother grew up a Duke fan. So, so we had it in our household, man. Duke and Carolina, we had our own little rivalry. But no, I'm, I'm thrilled to be talking a little Carolina hoops too.
1: I'm, I'm glad to be talking some Carolina basketball with you. And let's, let's, let's talk right about this team. They sit at, I'd call it a respectable 17 and seven, and they're nine and four. In the ACC but they've got all seven losses against quad one opponents and most of those games they haven't been very competitive in those defeats most recently a 20-point loss just at Duke last Saturday. What has stood out the most to you about this year's Tar Heel team so far?
0: Well, I, look, I haven't been as disappointed with them as I think many are because, look, it's first year without Roy Williams and you have to have patience there. It's a different voice. Um, it's a different kind of communication. There, there are different expectations uh, and and style wise. You're going to see small and subtle differences as you go. And, and with that comes. Small and subtle inconsistencies. Now, the issue is inconsistencies in the game really express a vulnerability, and it expresses a vulnerability against the best teams. I think that's why you see what you're seeing from Carolina. And you say respectable, it, it certainly is respectable given the losses that they have. They're not losing to the teams that they, they undoubtedly need to beat, right? Mm-hmm. I think it's hard to say, uh, as, as North Carolina, you know, North Carolina fans expect to win every game, and, and understandably so. When you when you look at the history and, and the coaches and the players, personnel that's come through that building, you expect to win every game, including, and in, in, I'd say certainly, especially Duke. Uh, but when you see transitions, you have to have patience with, with some of the ups and downs, some of those consistent inconsistencies, which I think you've seen. But they're still personnel-wise stronger than most. And they're able to capitalize at a time when the ACC is not that strong. You know, a period of transition, a a weaker ACC, it's a team that has taken care of business, but they've lost to a lot of good teams. It's almost as if there's that one thing missing. Well, it's a good win. And the, the challenge in the ACC this year, there's not a ton of good wins out there. I certainly have one coming up in March uh, against Duke. At Duke, of course, Uh, that's a great opportunity, but I I still look at this team and say, you know, when I have conversations with Lenardi, it, it really comes down to this is a team that's taking care of the games they're supposed to win. They just haven't been able to win the games that would look really good on a resume.
1: One of the big reasons why they've taken care of the games they're supposed to take care of is because Armando Baycott's had a sensational season. He's second in the NCAA with 18 double-doubles. He has three 20-rebound games so far this season. Did you see this type of production coming from the junior big man?
0: You know, Yes and no. I think, yes, when you look at the personnel, uh, when you consider what was around him, it was hard to see the type of production that he could give you uh, because there were so many bigs in the lineup. Uh, Particularly last year, when, when you think about what they had, and I even liked Walker Kessler late in the season, and that takes away from some of the productivity of a guy like Baycott. Baycott was great with the time he got, but ultimately he needed to continue to develop that floor game that you're starting to see today. Um, So many college kids don't really have a good feel for the game. Mm. They know how to play. They're competitive. They can make plays, but they don't know how to play within the game. They don't know how to play through teammates or or have the game be played through them. I think Baycott's done a much better better job of being a guy that you can play through and not just be a guy that you play to. Uh, Similarly to to a guy like Hunter Dickinson, who I have tonight uh, against Michigan, with Michigan. You know, He's a guy that they used to just throw the ball inside, and, and that was that, make a play. Mm. Uh, now it's more throw the ball to him if he doesn't have it, the ball's moving. That's where Baycott's gotten a lot better, and what guys don't realize is when you become a better passer, when you become a better screener, a more active and involved member of the offense, the game gets easier for you, and I, I think that's really where Baycott's really made that transition to be more of a star, uh, but at the same time, do a lot of the little things right, because that's what makes the game easier.
1: All summer long, the talk around the program was the change of philosophy from playing, you know, three around two under Roy Williams to the four around one, which was supposed to get the most out of Caleb Love and RJ Davis. Has their play lived up to the hype you thought you were going to see from them during this season?
0: Uh, no, I, I don't think so. And I think sometimes you, you look back and you say, no, it, it hasn't lived up to the hype. And then the second part is, I'm not sure if they could have lived up to the hype. Mm. Um, expectations. For, for guys grow exponentially from year to year, right? You think, oh, right, they, they've played some college basketball. They've played together. This means they're going to be great. And, and it's just not that easy. I mean, we we say it a lot. Like the best teams in the country don't often have the best players. It's almost harder to get the best players to play the best. Uh, it's It's kind of a riddle. Uh, But a lot of coaches out there understand exactly what I'm talking about, right? The expectations that players have for themselves as individuals don't often make it easier for them to actually contribute the way they expect to contribute. You know, the focus has to be on doing, like I said before with Baycott, doing a lot of those little things right, doing a lot of those little things well, right? Rotations on defense so you don't have to try as hard as others do. You know, moving the basketball on offense, so as the defense shifts, you're being put in a situation where you get a long closeout and you attack a long closeout. You know, there are often times where when the ball sticks. A guy like Caleb Love, he's got to break a man down who's in a set position defensively. I think that's a challenge. When the ball moves better, when you give it up and get it back, you got that long closeout, you're attacking a defender who's back on their heels. And I just, I think those are the things that you improve as you get more and more comfortable with this kind of like four out, one in type situation where you pick your spots as opposed to make your mind up. When guys make their mind up, they're limited. So so I still think it's an adjustment. You know, guys have to adjust to the game at this level. And even the players that, that might have been a top 200 kid, not a top 50 kid, th- there's, there's not a big difference between those. You realize that the more you're in this game, like, there are a lot of guys that were on no one's radar, and they're incredibly effective at this level. Uh, so I just think it takes time to adjust to the game, takes time to adjust to the style, and then also the, the differences in personnel around you. You start to play to your personnel and you have to know how to play off them, play through them, play to them, whatever it's gonna be. And again, that takes time. I just, I'm, I'm one of those guys, I'm like, I'm way more patient with this than fans are. Um, but at the same time, I understand. When you you have expectations, you come to North Carolina, the expectations are high, and they should be.
1: In their wins, Carolina's holding opponents to roughly under 65 points per game, but in their losses, they're allowing nearly 90 points. That's about a 25-point differential. Is there any defensible explanation for their defensive woes and their losses this season?
0: Well, I think it's funny. It's it's similar to a lot of teams. I think it's similar to Kansas. I think it's similar to even Purdue. To be honest, if we're really going to look at teams at the top, you see teams that are much better defensively when they're scoring it well. Mm. Um, part of that is you have an opportunity to set your defense. You're, you're not chasing the play. You know, when I've seen Carolina struggle, they're chasing the play. They're chasing the basketball. Their, their rotations are too heavy, meaning that too many guys flock to the ball. And When too many guys flock to the ball, there's a drive and kick opportunity that leads to another drive and kick or drive and dump down easy basket opportunity. Chasing the play is like an epidemic in, in college basketball, and, and partially because so many teams have gone to this positionless game where your five-man is the initiator around the perimeter, setting a ball screen, the lane's wide open. And it's it's hard to cover, defend in space. I think it's really changed the game. Uh, it may seem subtle, but it's drastic to me when you look at it. And I feel like North Carolina at times when they don't get scoring first – Defensively, they're chasing, and when you're chasing for too long, you're just not going to be an adequate defensive team, and then you're really relying on your offense to make a comeback. Um, I think there are times when they pressure, they're better, and they get back in the game, and there may be times where they need to do that sooner. But ultimately, it's it comes down to communicating in transition. If you're going to play where you're going to play fast and you're going to get up and down the floor, but miss some shots you got to communicate really well, right? It doesn't matter who you've got. You've got to get somebody and you got to make sure you tell your teammates that you've got them. So I think it's the communication more so than anything else. Defense, like defense is funny. It's it's not just simple rotations, right? Like we used to do shell drill back in the day where you'd play four guys and you'd rotate to the basketball, ball side, help side. The game is so different now, you know, especially four out, one in, five out, none in. You really have to communicate. NBA teams do it really well. Uh, college teams do scramble drill, drills where you really learn how to chase the play through communication, where one guy rotates over and the backside guy has to rotate up and everybody just kind of finds a man but also finds position on the defense another thing that takes time and if you're not scoring the basketball and you're chasing defensively you're going to be at a disadvantage
1: you know over the summer i got really caught up and i thought carolina could be a good defensive team and i know hubert davis learned under roy williams but played under dean smith maybe you'd see multiple defenses and multiple possessions you think carolina has the talent to be a really good defensive team or is that a talent issue they got to address in recruiting
0: well, I, I think anybody has the talent to be a good defensive team. It's it's just whether that's the biggest part of your identity. I think that's ultimately what's what's challenging. And, you know, in the game today, the teams that make it through the NCAA tournament and work their way towards the end, end of college basketball in a Sweet 16, Elite 8, Final Four, in a championship game... They got to score. The game, as much as they say defense wins championships, that's that's unquestionable, without a doubt. You got to play defense, but ultimately, you got to play defense so you score more than your opponent. Like I look at the game today, and it's and we we look at Ken Palm numbers and other stuff like that, where we say, well, they're they're adjusted defense efficiency is really bad. They're hundred fiftieth in the country, and I'm not sure exactly what Carolina is at this moment. But I look more at scoring margin. I think that's the one thing that if you're going to be a team, a modern team today, that scores the basketball, you're playing to a margin where you're going to say, look, we are an 85-point-per-game team. And I know that's not Carolina. There's 78 or 80 points a game. Right? It, it, teams want to score. You have to be willing to give up some easy buckets. Not, not, not a regular willingness, but on occasion, because of your pace, you're going to give up some baskets. Teams are going to score more points on you. The, the challenge is, can you be an adequate defensive team and a really good offensive team? I, I think that's... That's what's hard for a lot of these coaches who did learn under Dean Smith, who did learn under Roy Williams. The game is different. And even though Roy Williams coached in the modern game, the game is different every year because kids are different. Mm. You know, name, image, and likeness. You add all these things to it and you say, what does name, image, and likeness have to do with playing defense? Well, it has a lot to do with playing defense. It really comes down to buy-in and expectation and demands. You know there are only so many demands you can put on a kid before you lose them, and, and I think you've got to pick and choose your places. And that's one of the, the greatest challenges of coaching today. I think we saw it over the last couple of years. And I apologize for bringing his name up on a Carolina, uh, podcast, but you know, something Coach K mentioned uh, a couple years ago, where he said, "I can't teach everything I normally teach." we've got to prioritize and you saw him go to his zone from time to time because he couldn't teach all the principles of their man to a young group that he's only going to have for a year. You got to maximize the potential of that group and prioritize what you're going to teach. So I think any team can be a good defensive team, but you also have to be careful that that doesn't become your, your identity, right? That we are a defensive minded team. I mean, I think that's a Texas tech, but Texas Tech's going to have limitations scoring at times, right? You know, and that's good. I think the identity of the Tar Heels is going to be offense, and it should be focused on a scoring margin, not, a, not a, a, a percentage in terms of how we evaluate or use metrics to define a defense. I think if you play with pace, you may give up more points, but in the end, if your margin is 12 to 15 points a game, that, that's something that kids are going to want to be a part of. That's similar to the NBA style, and I think ultimately that's, that's something that a lot of fans would get behind because not only is it fun, it's kind of inspiring.
1: One of the changes that have swept college athletics by the foot the last couple years has been the transfer portal. Carolina dipped into that over the summer to bring in Brady Manick, who has been the unsung hero of this team at different times this season. Just most recently, Tuesday night, he hit the game-winning shot to beat Clemson. How has he fit in at Carolina upon transferring in from the Oklahoma Sooners program?
0: Well, I think he he fits in well because he's that stretch four uh, you could trust him physically. Uh, he's not—he's not a great defender. He's not going to give you much, but he's experienced, and experienced guys know how to hide themselves. Like I always said, that I, I was one of those things where I was able to start my freshman and sophomore year uh, at Penn State, and uh, not to bring it up, but we did beat Carolina in the NCAA tournament. Yes. Apologize for that. Uh, it was a big—it was a bigger deal for us than it was a bigger loss for you guys. So, so you should be happy for us. Um, I was always able to play because I knew the game well enough. I knew how to. Take breaks. I knew how to hide myself, and I think you see that from Brady Manic in terms of his experience on both sides of the ball. He doesn't chase the ball, right? He chases the open space. He's much better at open space. He's, he's not going to put the ball on the floor unless the closeout and pump fake gets the guy flying by. I think he stays within himself, and when you stay within yourself, and you do have obvious limitations, whether they be athletic or skill, you know, you stay within yourself. You can be effective, and I, and I think Brady Manic has figured that out. He's figured out how to play to his strengths, uh, not try to do things that he really can't do, not not try to do things that are just out of character and maybe outside of his skill set. And I think as the season goes on, you'll see this is a guy that he'll move up towards the top of a scouting report, not just because of his, his obvious superficial production, right? It's because of the things that he poses as a challenge to an opponent, right? Long closeouts for a four-man. Well, you get a four-man away from the basket, now you have one shot blocker and one one of your key rebounders. He's a guy that can really break down defenses, and I, and I would really look to utilize him more and more in pick-and-pop situations. I, I hate saying pick-and-pop situations because pick-and-pop and uh, implies that it's it's uh, calculated, it's really pick and read. Mm. You know, you set the screen, and if the defense does a certain thing, you pop. If you set the screen, and the defense does something else, you roll. If the defense on the backside is present, it's a short roll. So so I would use him heavily in those pick and read situations. So long as you can get a guy like Baycott to stay out of the block, really vacate the block, I think Manna could be key for them down the stretch, as as he has been.
1: We're talking with John Crispin, ESPN College basketball analyst. Uh, a staple of Carolina basketball under Roy Williams was playing – Eight, nine, 10, 11 guys at certain times. Carolina doesn't have that depth this year. You got Dawson Garcia away with the family issue, Anthony Harris suspended for academics. So right now, Hubert's only playing seven to eight guys. Why hasn't he been able to expand his bitch with the Justin McCoys, Dontre Styles, and DeMarco Duns?
0: I think part of it is coaches get comfortable with the guys you have. Um, we are human beings. We are creatures of comfort as much as we're creatures of habit. The habits come from our comfort right like you know and and i am probably a little more philosophical than most of this stuff but i really try to understand this jay wright plays seven guys Mm -hmm. and john beeline in the ncaa tournament he played less and less he into a seven-man rotation and there's a reason why You, you develop a comfort with that and when you don't have the margin for error and i think this is probably the reason i can't say that the exact reason but based on what i see and what i know and what i understand philosophically about people i think part of the reason is you don't have the margin for error at carolina this year to play a bunch of guys that you just don't have a trust for and coaches play the guys they trust that's that's ultimately what it comes down to and in ncaa tournament situations you see even the likes of bruce pearl going to a shorter bench right where you playing six, seven guys, the majority of the minutes. And the only time you have to adjust is, is when you have foul trouble. So I think that's a big part of it. I think you have to play who you trust. You have to build with what you trust. And understanding that you do not have the, that margin for error that you may have had in the past, you can't take chances on developing guys in a season where you can lose games to inferior opponents. And you have to capitalize on the group you have to beat the, the superior opponents.
1: Despite the winning record, many many fans, including myself, have been frustrated with Hubert Davis for you know many different reasons, expectations, sometimes the lack of you know emotion on the sidelines, whatever it is. But through his first twenty four games, what have you learned about Carolina's first time head basketball coach?
0: You know, it's funny. I always knew about the personality, and I was interested to see how the personality would play out because he's not an outgoing guy. Uh, and I think when things get down like you know not again it hasn't been really bad right i think to me i looked at miami and wake forest two games in a row even though they're both playing well i wanted to see more of an emotional response and i think that's the one thing that i would look at and say kids do require at this level an authority mm-hmm. and the challenge is will you be an authority again we don't like that word in our society today, right, the the word authority. We also don't like the word manipulation, right? But the reality is coaches have to manipulate a a group of kids to come together, to focus on what makes us the same and not what makes us different, right? Bring us together for a common goal. And you're required to be an authority. And I think that's probably one of the biggest challenges. How can you be what I refer to as a passive authority? And it doesn't mean he's passive by any any means of the way. It it just means that superficially, he's not going to give you that emotion. Superficially, he doesn't seem to make those demands of players. When you think about it, like some of the greatest coaches that are out there, like Bill Self is an authority over his team. Tom Izzo is an authority over his team. Coach K is an authority over his team. There is no questions when it comes to who's in charge and will I do what I'm asked to do. I think teams that struggle defensively ultimately see the same thing they do not have someone that is holding them accountable in a, an authoritative way and that was always going to be my my question you know for hubert davis is could you be an authority over these kids it's hard for an assistant coach with that type of personality to do it and it has to be done in a different way right you you have to manipulate the game and manipulate your personnel in a different way right it's more through social interaction personal connection because the emotions on the sideline aren't going to do it. So I think it's something that requires yet another adjustment. I mean, to be honest, Roy wasn't really the, the biggest authority. He was just old school in his approach in the sense that there was no question who was in charge. You know, he was cool for the most part on the sidelines. He he wouldn't call timeouts to to rip into guys for the most part. But at the same time, there was no question who was in charge. And and I felt like that was gonna be the biggest challenge for Hubert Davis and his personality, considered uh, the move from assistant to head coach. Given the fact that he's not a demonstrative personality, it's really hard to establish yourself as an authority. And like like I said, society tells us we, we don't like authorities these days. But truth be told, one of the things I think is missing in our world today, today is a healthy fear of authority. And you'll see that accountability is sacrificed, and, and at times it's often things on the defensive end that get sacrificed, but that, that isn't there.
1: A couple more questions for you, John, and I'll let you go. The ACC only has one ranked team, that's being the Blue, the, the Duke Blue Devils, and it looks like they're going to put at the most probably five to maybe six teams in the NCAA tournament. Why hasn't the league had the type of bounce-back season we expected them to have?
0: You know, it's interesting. I, I think sometimes it's it's not that obvious. You know, there are times when it's in hindsight, you look at it, and you say, oh, well, I can see how this personnel didn't work out. This personnel didn't work out. There are teams like would anybody have said Miami would be pretty good this year? But what a nine and four in the conference right now, tied with Carolina. Like, you know, No one would have said that. Would you have said, hey, Wake Forest, uh, Steve Forbes, it, they're going to be good this year. I don't think anyone would have said that. I think you would have expected more from Virginia. We always expect more than we've gotten from Syracuse. Virginia Tech was a top 25 team to start the team. There's also programs like Louisville, which have been a circus, have been an absolute circus. I think that's been a challenge. No Manny Bates for NC State. So when you look back at it, you're kind of like, there's a lot of things that make sense, but you still think of the conference as being – one of the elite conferences in college basketball that hasn't been the case the past couple years and i was doing a super tuesday acc slate uh with reese Davis, and we talked a lot about saying like this this just isn't the level that that it's been at for so long from from top to bottom but also from bottom to top and i think that the conferences out there that from bottom to top are the strongest see the best basketball and right now the, the the basement's low uh, and the ceiling is really only high for one team, and I think that's that's a challenge. I, I think a lot of it comes down to some rebranding. I know it sounds it sounds very market, you know, like it sounds like a marketing ploy. But with Coach K leaving, with Roy Williams out, there's almost this need to almost rebrand the ACC, rebrand basketball in the ACC based on. The new guys in charge and Louisville hiring a good coach. I think getting something moving in the right direction is important for the conference. Same for Syracuse. Syracuse has to be good in this conference for them to serve the conference well. Uh, Florida State has been a bit of a disappointment. Mm. So I just, I just, and yet we thought they were going to be good. I I was talking to Matt Painter about them earlier today, Um, in in the sense that he's just like, you know, we really thought that they were going to be a much better team. They've struggled, so it's, it's just a down few years for the conference. I'm not sure what it takes. You know, we're also in the day of name, image, and likeness where, you know, package deals are being put together for kids to come make money. Uh, and that's a reality of college basketball these days. I don't think it's a very good reality because there are no real limitations to it. Um, it it's the Wild West, but it's almost like the Wild West when you're allowed to carry guns. It's like, well, well what do you think is going to happen? Do you think that people are going to be, you know, kind of – reserved with that or or do you think that they're going to go over the top i mean look we've seen this year in year out whatever the rules are people are going to push the limits and i'll be interested to see the conferences that really get behind name image and likeness and where they go versus the conferences that really sit back and kind of rest on our laurels and say hey we are a great basketball conference well that's not what it takes anymore you know, there are kids going to mid-majors. You look at what's happening at Jackson State, two of the best football players in the country are going to Jackson State. Mm-hmm. Why is that? Is it because of Deion Sanders and he's going to turn him into a pro? No, it, it's a financial package. So I just think that there's a lot there that we, we kind of just have to be patient with, but at the same time, be patiently aggressive. Um, similar to, to what I say about a lot of players, like you, you need to be patient, but you need to be aggressive. Finding the balance in between is ultimately sustainable success. And and I think you have to be patient with how some of these things work. You have to work as a conference to to really establish what we're willing to do and what we're not willing to do. And Jimmy Phillips is is a friend, and I think he's fantastic. I think he'll be working with schools to to talk through some of this stuff. But I do think because of the last couple of years, the ACC almost needs to be rebranded a little bit to get excitement back and to start to raise the expectations for for its member institutions, especially some of the ones that are – I hate to say more important than others, but Louisville and Syracuse, I think those are important institutions for the ACC when it comes to college basketball.
1: Hubert Davis has praised Leaky Black for his defensive performances yeah. throughout the season. If you had to vote, would you select Leaky Black as the ACC Defensive Player of the Year?
0: God, It's it's hard to... I'm trying to think who, who I might say. I mean, gosh, you look at guys like Wendell Moore, but it's not about statistics. It's just about you know commitment mm. um if they turn it on guys like that could be good it, it's hard to say it wouldn't be leaky black um it's just one of those things i think the defensive player of the year is such a, a subjective uh, thing to to award somebody because the writers look at it and say well let me see your steals right jacob gilliard at Richmond is always tops in voting or up there in voting when it comes to defensive player that you're mainly because what? He's, he steals. He's, he leads the nation in steals. You know, somebody else may lead the country in blocks. It doesn't mean that the greatest defender in the world, it could mean that their guards are really good defenders and force guys into bad shots. You know, so I look at it and say, like, how do you impact the game? Do you impact the game in a sense where they play away from you? Are you Jalen? Are you Jalen Ramsey on the edge? You know, are you a guy that when you're locked up one and one, you go someplace else? And the answer with Leaky Black is yes. There's not a matchup on the floor he can't cover. Um, you can switch him on anybody, and it's disruptive by nature. And in that sense, yeah, you would say he's up there in terms of defensive player in the year in the conference. I think it's too soon yet. to to award that award to anyone, but in terms of his ability to disrupt any position on the floor, you've got to give him that consideration.
1: I'll get you out on this, John. Carolina is among one of the last teams in the NCAA tournament field, according to uh, your colleague Joe Joe Lenardi. For them to secure themselves a spot in the in the NCAA tournament, what do they need to do over the their, their final seven ACC games and the ACC tournament? That way, they're not sweating it out come Selection Sunday. I think
0: you need to win five of the, the next seven. Um,
1: hmm.
0: You win five of the next seven, and when you look at those, I mean, Florida State. Uh, Pittsburgh. I just pulled up their schedule. I don't have this by memory. Virginia Tech, Louisville, NC State, one you should get. Syracuse, one you should get. And then there's Duke. You know, Duke would be a lock. You get Duke and you win five out of seven and one of those is at Duke, then then obviously I think you're, you're locked. Um, five of seven at a game in the, in the ACC tournament, I think they're in. Um, the challenge is it's like, it's Carolina. And as I said before when we started this, I'm a huge Carolina fan. Like I got chills when I got to call a game at the, at the Dean Dome. I know it's the Dean Smith Center, but to me, it's always the Dean Dome. Like I, I read, I, I've I've read Dean Smith's books. Like I, I grew up rooting for Carolina. Nineteen ninety three, the the timeout couldn't have been a better year for me. Mm. Um, so, I, but that being said, my expectations for the program are Final Four caliber program, right? Like they're 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 similar to what fans expect. So I think that the NCAA tournament is about feeling good about where we're headed, right? More so than feel a good feeling good about where we got. So I think you have to look at the NCAA tournament with, with the right mindset, with the right perspective that is like, we're doing this because we're building something. We're not rebuilding something because Carolina isn't a rebuild. Carolina is a continue to build on top of what's already there. Um, but I, I do feel like You know, given the change, uh, given personnel changes, given some transfers in and out, you have to feel good about making the NCAA tournament and then giving yourselves a chance because this, again, is a team, they're in the top 40 when it comes to scoring. And teams in the NCAA tournament that can score the basketball, and teams in the NCAA tournament that have challenging matchups, namely in the form of Armando Baycott, they can make noise. And I think making the NCAA tournament and having the opportunity to make a nice little run allows you to feel good about the direction of the program. And I I think that's really what it's all about this year. It's not about, hey, I like where we ended up. It's ultimately, I I like where we got and I like where we're going. So I do think the NCAA tournament's important. I I do hope that this is a, a program that continues to improve upon the areas where they are vulnerable, particularly defensively, particularly when it comes to controlling a game, That maybe goes the other way, where you're you're not making shots and your opponent is getting out and running, and you're not setting your defense yet. They're scoring, and you have to play against the set defense. I think that's a challenge. So if they can control the game a little bit more, if they can feel it out a little bit more, create a rhythm that that their offense creates a rhythm that supports who they are defensively, you'll see the potential of this team rises quite a bit. And I think that there's a potential to be. A second weekend team, again, based on the matchups, which sounds really cliche when it comes to the NCAA tournament, but the personnel's there to do it. It's just a matter of improving on the things that you're changing. You're improving upon getting good at, ter- at in terms of that four out, one in. You're playing with more space. You're reading that open space better. And also, with that shorter lineup, you should be getting better game in, game out. Every game, you should be improving with that group because they're playing significant minutes together significant minutes together increases feel but it also increases chemistry on the floor chemistry on the floor is one of those things that that every coach there in college basketball is trying to find and it takes time but i I do think the opportunity with the next seven games i think there are plenty of opportunities to develop that chemistry to make a nice little
1: john i want to thank you for taking some time out of uh your ever busy schedule to come on and talk a little carolina basketball hopefully we can do it again later down the road my man
0: yeah, man, I'm here. I'm always happy to talk Carolina basketball, and 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 if Duke calls me to do it, I'll have to admit that I was a Carolina fan my whole life.
1: <laughs> All right, man, you have a great call tonight. We'll talk. We'll talk again soon. Okay. All right, thanks, brother. There you go, guys. That's ESPN college basketball analyst John Crispin joining us for uh, a great conversation about Carolina hoops. We're gonna take a very quick break. Play you this week's ad from DraftKings, and then. I'm going to come back and shut down this edition of the Four Corners Podcast. As if the McCrispie couldn't get any better, Bacon and
0: Ranch just entered the chat. The Bacon Ranch McCrispie, available at participating McDonald's for a limited time. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.
1: The moment we've been waiting for since September is finally here. In honor of the big game, DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 56, is giving new customers... to odds on either team. Bet just $5 and get 280 in free bets if your team wins. DraftKings is now live in New York, meaning you can bet from almost a third of the country. If Sportsbook isn't in your state yet, play DraftKings Daily Fantasy Football Contest for Super Bowl 56. New customers can get a free shot at a $1 million top prize with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the promo code TBPN and get 56 to 1 odds on either team. Bet just $5 and get 280 in free bets if your team wins. That's promo code TBPN at DraftKings Sportsbook an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 56. 21 or older, minimum age and location requirements vary by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for full list of requirements and state-specific responsible gaming resources. Voidware Prohibitive. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER in Tennessee. Call or text a Tennessee Redline 1-800-GAMBLER. 889-9789. In Connecticut, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. Really hope you guys are taking great advantage of all these great offers I've been giving you on the Four Corner side of things. Same for Anthony over there on the Heel Tough Blog side of things ahead of this Sunday Super Bowl between the Bengals and the Rams. As I mentioned, this is going to wrap up this edition of the podcast. But before we let you go, do you want to get your website, HeelToughBlog.com, Be getting you ready for Saturday's matchup with Florida State. There will be a preview article up. And of course, day of, there'll be a recap article as well. Football side of things. Um, Anthony's still keeping up to date with weekly storylines. He's having an article coming out about the the top 10 prospects to keep an eye on for the 2023 recruiting class. Ray Vowasek is coming back for his super senior season. All that coverage and more over on the HeelToughBlog.com. As for the podcast, you know where to find us. We're on the Basketball Podcasting Network. We host through Megaphone, but we're on every major podcasting platform. Simply just search the Four Corners podcast, like the pod, review the pod, but most importantly, hit that subscribe button. That'll you don't miss any, that way you don't miss any, any great podcast, any great interview as we take you through the rest of the, of the 2021-22 basketball season. Well, that is going to wrap up this edition of the pod. I want to thank you guys for listening. I want to thank John Crispin one more time. And as always, Go our Heels!